What's up? Great to be with you. I'm going to move this thing back. Thank you for the two people that are excited. Um, yeah, I love the enthusiasm. I love it when I say things up here and there's no response. It's really encouraging. So glad, glad to be with you guys tonight. Well, first things first, I just need to point out uh, half of a broken back of a chair, okay? There are, <laughs> there are 10 people in the room who know what this is for, and you 10 are the OGs. And so this one's for you. There's no other reason for that. You're going to ask us about it later. Go on, a, go on a summer mission trip next year, and then you'll find out. Anyway, uh, my name is Travis. I get to serve on staff here as a director of Salt Company. It is great to be with you. It's great to uh, get to preach God's word to you, and I'm excited to get back into it. Uh, if you guys were here last week, we started a new series. We call it Signs, like up on the board. No, we're not learning sign language. We're learning about the different signs and miracles of Jesus as recorded in the book of John. He records a, a number of different miracles, but specifically seven different signs that are trying to show kind of who Jesus is. Uh, John is specifically recording these true stories to show us a little bit about who Jesus is, his character, his heart, his mindset toward us and toward God. And so to kind of set that up, for those that know me, I'm a huge fan of the TV show, The Office. Huge fan. Uh, it's before you guys' time. You wouldn't understand. That's for, never mind. Anyway, as I was preparing for the sermon this week, I couldn't help but think of a, a certain meme that has uh, come, up, come about from this TV series. In one of the episodes, uh, they're searching for a new office manager. And so Creed Bratton, who's the oldest employee in the office, he fills in the, as the temporary manager of the Scranton branch of Dundler, Dundler Mifflin. And some things to know about Creed, if you haven't seen the show, he uh, is literally insane, okay? Uh, and while he hardly has any lines in this show, the ones that he does have are the most strangest and bizarre statements. Um, he has this mysterious, vague past where he might be a murderer. The very last episode of the show, he's like led away by cops, um, and he's absolutely terrible at his job. And so when he gets the temporary manager position, he begins calling all their customers, telling them that the company is going out of business. And be why is this? It's because he's Creed and he's weird. And so Pam, she's the main character in the show. She's the receptionist. She realizes that she needs to do something or she's not going to have a job. And so she prints out two pictures that they are, are the exact same. She gives them to Creed. And she says, corporate needs you to find the difference between these two pictures, this picture and this picture. And then it cuts to her right there. And she says, this is the same picture. You guys, have you seen this meme before a little bit? It's been turned into a meme. And so I think I got a few up here just so it kind of sets the, the tone here. Let's go to the next one here. Yeah, Fortnite, it is trash. No, it used to be good. Okay, it is now trash. You guys do not understand the glory of what it used to be. You guys are in second grade then. Uh, what's the next one? Yeah, math, torture. That's a truthful one. Find the difference between these. They're the same picture. Uh, I made this one. Nebraska football the last five years. <laughs> it, it pains me as much as it pains you guys. I am a Husker fan through and through. Uh, it is a terrible thing. Man, it's a terrible thing. Okay, uh, and now this might be really cheesy or might be really good. I'm not really sure. But the point of why I'm showing you all this is because of this one right here, Okay. Jesus said a genie, okay? Sometimes we look at this, and I think we're kind of like Pam, the main character in this, okay? We, we look at Jesus, we look at genie, and, and we, we, we think that there's some similarities there. Now, stay with me, all right? They both do supernatural acts, do they not? They uh, uh, both are supernatural beings, and this last one is a stretch, but they both grant the desires of our heart, Jesus with prayer and genies with wishes. I told you it's a little cheesy, but I, I wanna paint a, 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 a picture here. Obviously, there are clear differences between Jesus and a genie, but I wonder how often we functionally act as though Jesus and a genie are the same thing. Like, like a genie who grants us the wishes of our heart, we only ever seem to approach Jesus with what we want. We only want or talk to Jesus for what he can give to us. 
In this passage we're gonna look at tonight in John chapter four, you can turn there if you have your Bibles with you, otherwise it'll be up on the screens. The people around Jesus, they're faced with a dilemma. Are they going to follow Jesus as a genie, as an entertainer, as this amazing miracle worker? Are they going to follow him for what he gives to them or are they going to follow Jesus and see him for who he truly is and place their faith in him? There's a difference. And so company, we need to ask ourselves the same question tonight. Do we follow Jesus because it's convenient, because it's entertaining? Or do we truly have authentic faith in who Jesus is? Tonight, I hope that we can see that Jesus, he's not a genie in a bottle. He's the king on the throne. Authentic faith is in who Jesus is, not in what he does for you. Authentic faith is in who Jesus is, not what he does for you. And so with that, we're gonna dive into God's word tonight. Like I said, John chapter four, 46 through 54 will be in there. And so here we are. I can see it. Didn't bring my glasses up here. All right, uh, verse 46. And so he, this is Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man had heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Guys, if you remember from last week, we looked at this story in John chapter 2, and we saw this first sign that Jesus records of, uh, uh, sorry, that John records of Jesus turning water to wine at a, at a wedding party. It was absolutely incredible. And after that, after that little scene there, he, he leaves town for a little bit. He, he goes up to Jerusalem. He goes around the surrounding area. He's teaching. Uh, he's doing some miracles. And now he comes back to this little town of Cana, that same town as before. And so we see this new character come into play. This man who's identified as an official. Notice he doesn't have a name in here. He's just identified as an official. And the, the Greek word for official here implies royal, royalty. In other words, he was, he was, this man was high up in the Roman government's which were the rulers at the time. He was kind of like, if you think about it, like a senator today. That's kind of like the equivalent of what he was at the time. And this man, he heard of the rumors of this dude named Jesus who has healed some people. He's heard the rumors. And he's exhausted his resources. He's brought in every doctor. He's used every medicine, yet his son is without hope, with death looming. And so this official, his father, whose son is deathly ill, he's left with no options. And so he hears about Jesus, just this random Jewish subject of the Roman Empire that he helps lead, who just might be able to help. Now, Capernaum to Cana, it's about 20 miles. And they didn't have cars back then, so he's running this thing. His desperate father, he makes a journey on foot as quickly as possible, coming to Jesus and asking him to come with him to heal his son. Because we can't miss the desperation of this man. Someone high in the Roman government. He had all the power the influence, the money. He had, he had it all. He couldn't be more opposite of Jesus who was a poor Jewish subject of the Roman government. And yet here he is, begging Jesus, a man he didn't even know but only heard of from afar to come to him with the possibility to heal his son. He was desperate. It's all he had left. You know, and I, I just like, I wonder if we've ever been in a moment like that, you know, where we've been absolutely desperate, Right? We're faced with a challenge. We've exhausted every resource and avenue, so we throw up a Hail, Hail Mary to Jesus. It's kind of a, anyway, uh, hoping he will answer and come through. Jesus, will you help me? I have nowhere else to go. Like, have you ever been in a moment like that as a father? Just put yourself in this story. Have you ever been in that moment where you're desperate? All right, look with me at the next verse, verse 48. And so he comes to Jesus. He probably asked him once already, and he says here in verse 48, so Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. 
Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I wanna, I wanna camp out here just for a few moments. It's important to note that in Jesus's initial response to this official, that he uses the plural Greek word for you both times. He's not sp- speaking specifically to the official, he's speaking to everybody that's around. He's saying, unless you people see signs and wonders, you all will not believe. And so why, why is Jesus saying this? I thought it was the official talking to him. Why is Jesus talking to everyone else? If you guys remember from last week's passage, um, you'd think that if Jesus really was God, if he was really trying to get people to follow him, if, he, if that's really what he's trying to do, wouldn't he constantly do signs and miracles in front of the masses so that everyone would see who he is and follow him? Wouldn't that be what he would do? And so what he says is true. If he was trying to get everyone to follow him, wouldn't he heal every sickness? Wouldn't, wouldn't he disband the Roman government that's full of corruption, that's oppressing the, the, the Jewish people? Wouldn't he destroy every injustice? Wouldn't he be rid of every evil? Surely everyone then would believe and follow him. And honestly, if he did that today, wouldn't everyone believe in Jesus? Surely we would all believe in Jesus if he did all of that. That's what I think of. Like, why, why does Jesus respond this way? Because it's true. See, Jesus, he knows people will see what he can do. And guys, doing miracles is one of the primary ways Jesus shows who he is in the book of John during his life on this earth. But in this moment, he's checking the motives of the people around him, including this official. He's asking the question, by saying this statement, he's asking this question, why do you follow me? Is it only because I can heal the sicknesses of the ones you love? Is it only because I can give food and drink? Is it only because I can give things? And so in an extreme test of faith, he asks this official, why do you actually come to me? And he's asking the people around, why do you actually come to me? The phrase, don't miss the forest for the trees, it's a, it's a common phrase today to remind people, don't miss like the, the, the main points, the, 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 what's going on, right? The trees represent kind of the, the daily tasks. You guys are students, right? The trees represent the daily tasks, the assignments, the tests, all the stuff that you have to do. But what's the point? What's the forest? It's to get the diploma so you can get the job. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Salt Company, Jesus is showing us a similar thing here. Are we missing the person of Jesus for the work of Jesus? Don't miss the forest for the trees. Are we missing who he is because of what he can do? Guys, I just wanna pause and say like, notice how unique Jesus is compared to any other figure in history, any other entertainer, any other political uh, politician. What does every musician or actress want? They want people to like them uh, for what they give to them. They want people to like them for their music, for their arts, for their acting. What do politicians do? They say all the things you wanna hear so they can muster up a big enough crowd to be able to vote them into office. And then they do nothing. But that's that's for a different night, right? Jesus is different though. He doesn't want the crowds for the sake of a falling. That's not the end game. He isn't interested in being an entertainer or a politician. He doesn't want the attention of others to gather a falling if the people are only entertained or pleased with the product he can give. What he's trying to show us, what what we're trying to see here is that he doesn't want a crowd. He wants the official's heart. In other words, he doesn't want to only heal the official's son. Like Jesus hates death. Not only does he want to heal the official's son, he wants the official to see Jesus for who he truly is in Salt Company. The question I think we got to ask ourselves is, do we see Jesus for who he truly is? Or do we just want things from him? 
Do we see Jesus for who he truly is or do we want things from him? And I, and I wanna make that question more specific for us. How do we know if we see Jesus for who he is or if we treat him like a genie? just asking him for wishes. And I, I have a few questions. They'll be up on the screen. Uh, the kind of heart diagnostic questions. The first one is this. Is Jesus your medicine or is he your life support? Do you, do you run to Jesus only when life is hard? Right, through the, the, the hard things of life, the, the breakup, the unexpected family death, the stressful season, things that are hard that Jesus does want to hear about. But do you only run to him in those times so that he can ease your pain like taking medicine when something hurts? Or do you follow him in all seasons, the good and the bad? as if he's your life support you would die without, that you would die apart from. Second question is, following Jesus, is it entertaining or is it life-changing? Do you come to Salt Company or Citigroup or church or whatever else because it's simply a social gathering to see others and for them to see you? A place to hear music and encouragement or do you see Jesus as the only place where life is found? The only one that can actually give life has he changed your life or are you only being entertained? Last question, does Jesus conveniently align with all your personal views? Oof. Or does the message he teach through his word? Does it cause your heart to be convicted to change and live the way that he desires for you to live? Guys, if Jesus conveniently aligns with every one of your political, your social, your relationship views that you have, you might not be following the same Jesus that is in the Bible the same Jesus that the Bible speaks of, if he conveniently aligns with all your personal views. Once again, these are diagnostic questions to say, do we see Jesus for who he truly is? And Jesus' question to the official in this story, it's the same question that he asks of you and he asks of me. Do you actually wanna follow me? Or do you only want what you can get from me? Do you actually wanna follow me or do you only want what you can get from me? Let's read on to see how the official responds. So verse 40, 49, it says, the official said to him after this, he says, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. He says, go, your son will live. He speaks it. He's not going with him. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, the servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So we asked him the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come to Judea, from Judea to Galilee. Okay, Jesus heals the official son. Guys, this is crazy. Look, he's 20 miles away from this son and he speaks it in a sentence. And this, this kid is resurrected. He's, he's alive. That is crazy. It's obviously no surprise, like we, if you were in Citigroup this week and you looked at this passage, you knew that was coming, but I don't want us to miss the significance of what went on here. Jesus, caused, he, he's Lord over sickness. But guys, I wanna look at the official's response to Jesus. The official pleaded with Jesus to come with him in verse 49, right? And this is right after in verse 48, Jesus is testing the man's faith. He's saying, why do you really wanna come to me? Do you just want what I, what I can give or do you actually want me? And so the official, he pleads with him in verse 49, showing him that he, he wants more than just what he can give to him. And in verse 50, Jesus says, okay, go, your son will live. He doesn't go with the official. He simply tells him that he will somehow heal this kid from afar. Now put yourself in this Roman official's shoes for a second. 
Reminder, you are desperate. You've already humiliated yourself by stepping down from your social status to plead with this peasant miracle worker. And if he can even heal your son at all, your son probably won't survive if Jesus doesn't come with you right then and there. Like he's on his last, his last breaths. But Jesus simply says, go, your son will live. What would you do as the official with a dying son? I put myself in those shoes and I feel like I would continue to plead with Jesus. Like, Jesus, I hear what you're saying, but you need to come with me right now. You need to show me that you can actually heal him. Just come with me, do it right now so that I can see it. Guys, I feel like if I was in these, this dude's shoes, I would not believe Jesus at his word. I would have to see it to believe it. Yet this Roman official, this man who has all the power, the influence, the money, he doesn't doubt Jesus. Verse 50 simply says, he believed him at his word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. The man took Jesus at his word. He didn't doubt. He didn't continue to persuade Jesus to come. He believed him that it would be true when he said it. So what happens? He heads home. He meets the people who are with his son, and they tell him the exact hour he was healed. Saul Company, the man in this story, he's an example of faith for us. Okay, he's an example of a man who trusted in Jesus, not simply because he wanted a miracle or because he had a need. He's a man who had truly faith in who Jesus was, and he shows that by his actions. He believed Jesus at his word. And so that's the story that we're looking at tonight. And, and as we work through it here, I just want to uh, pause now and use the remainder of our time to, to point out a few things that Jesus is trying to teach us in this passage. So I just got three points of application for us to work through, uh, to, to have as takeaways as we leave tonight. God's word changes us. The first one I think Jesus is trying to show us is this, that Jesus wants true faith. Jesus wants true faith. I think so often as I look at my life, as I look at my, my spiritual life, I, I tend to operate in the opposite way of the official when Jesus told him that his son would be healed. Okay, the official believes Jesus at his word because of who Jesus is. Often in my life, I will wait till God does something and then trust him in that area of my life. It's like, God, prove it to me. Prove it to me that you actually care. Prove it to me that you can actually do something in my life and then I will believe. And I wonder how much we, we, we all operate like that. God, do something for me and then I'll know you're real. And Saul, that's, that's not what true faith in Jesus is. True faith in Jesus isn't waiting for him to respond and then trusting in him. True faith is trusting in Jesus for who he is despite the outcome. Trusting in what he says to us before what he does for us. Now, I don't wanna just blow over the fact that, and we cannot miss this, that Jesus graciously healed the official's son. In our lives, Jesus wants to answer our prayers. I'm not saying don't go to him with the concerns that you have, the, the deep heartaches that you have, praying that he would work powerfully in your life and perform miracles. He can do it and he does do it. He is gracious and willing to meet us in our need and often will answer our requests when we come before him. But what he wants, and, and guys, honestly, what we need, what we need is faith in Jesus despite the outcome of our requests. Because what happens when sometimes he doesn't answer those? What happens? Those are the hard moments, right? I know many of you might follow my wife, Vanessa, and I on social media. Um, and as you've seen this past year, it's, it's been a tough year. 
Okay, me and my wife, we, we've tried to start a family and, and we've lost two babies and then found out that we were gonna be unable to have biological children. And in those moments when we found out that we might lose those babies, like we pleaded with God. We cried out to Jesus to heal, to perform a miracle. It's like, Jesus, I know you can do it. I see stories like this in the Bible. I know you can do it. I've seen you heal friends. I know you can do it. Would you bring life where, there, where death is certain? And guys, he didn't heal. He didn't save either of those lives. I read a story like this, a story where a man's child is healed and Jesus does a miracle. And guys, I'll be honest, I wonder why he didn't save ours as well. In a year that's been one of the hardest of my lives, I've pleaded more with God than I ever have. And I've asked him questions I never thought I would. I've experienced pain and loss deeper than I ever thought I would experience. You guys, it's been hard to trust God. And I'm not just saying this to shed light on me. I'm saying this because there are moments in life when, when things like this happen, that it's hard to trust Jesus at his word. It's hard to trust him that he's good, that he wants what's best for us. It's hard to trust that he cares about our dreams and our desires. Maybe you two read a story like this and wonder, Jesus, why didn't you heal me? Why didn't you heal my family member? Why do I have to go through what I'm going through right now? Why do I have to experience the bad things of this life? The Bible, it does teach us that God's original design, it was not for us to go through the difficulties that we face in this life. That was not his original design. But the result of humanity's sin, our sin, is brokenness in this world, is evil in this world. And to be a Christian, it doesn't mean you elevate beyond the effects of sin and brokenness. It doesn't mean you somehow fully understand why it all happens. But to be a Christian means you trust in God. You trust in Jesus in the midst of sin and death and injustice and brokenness. When we face those things, we, we do have a choice to trust in God, right? To, to cry out to him, to pray to him, ask him to move. But despite that, a choice to trust in him who is good, who knows all things, who is in control of all things and is using all things for our good and his glory. God gives meaning to every moment, even when we are unaware of that meaning. And guys, I believe that to be true. I, I, I do believe that to be true, but what I'm not trying to say is that I'm just pretending that I understand everything. I am pretending that there isn't still pain at times. But one thing that I have seen this past year is that Jesus has never left me. Jesus has never left me. He's never left my wife. In the midst of the pain and the questions and anger and confusion, Jesus, he's met us time and time again. And while he doesn't promise to heal every sickness and cure every anxiety in this life right now, what he has promised in this life is to be present with his people in the midst of the good and the bad. He's given us his spirit like the God of the universe, the spirit of God lives within us who have placed our faith in Jesus. What a wonderful truth that God is with us. Jesus, he knows exactly the pain that we go through. He endured every temptation. He hung on a cross for sin he did not commit. He understands pain. He was separated from his father, bearing the wrath of God. He understands denial. I just want to point out that he understands. And, and while he doesn't promise to answer every question in this life, he does promise to be with us as we wrestle through them. 
and why we don't understand every outcome. I don't understand why sometimes he says yes to answering some prayers and, and he says no to others. I do know that he invites us to trust him, to believe that he is good and that he is king and that he will someday come back and make every wrong right. In this season more than ever, I've learned that Jesus wants true faith despite the outcomes of life. And I've learned that it isn't a blind faith. It isn't a faith that you slap on it just to cope with the hard things. It's a living faith in a living God who doesn't leave his people. And so Saul, do we trust in Jesus for who he is or for what he can do for us? Guys, and I do wanna say, thankfully someday we will find answers. As Christians, we do have hope. And that's the, the second point of application from this passage, that Jesus is our only hope. Now, I believe that this story shows us that Jesus is our only hope. The official, he exhausted every avenue, every pursuit in finding healing for his son, and Jesus was his only hope. Salt Company, Jesus is your only hope. I promise you, he's your only hope. And not just because he can answer our prayers and, and cares about our concerns. He's our only hope because he's our savior king. He's Lord over all things. He's Lord over death. He's Lord over our lives. Would we live as though this is true? And when we, when we face the difficulties of life, when I face the difficulties in my life, I think so often uh, we like to run to distraction, to pleasure, to money, to sex, to substance, to whatever it is, fill in the blank, to escape and find relief in this life. But in the end, at the end of the day, when those things finally wear off, we're feeling more empty and more hopeless. Would we learn to run to Jesus, our eternal hope? I love that, I love that we have hope beyond this life. Like to be a Christian isn't just to feel good about yourself because God is on your side. No, we have hope beyond this life, beyond the mess of this life. For Revelation 20 and four, it tells us of the hope that we have to look for. It says this, it says, Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He's speaking about his people, people who have placed their faith in him and trust him, who have their hope in him alone. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is what we get to look forward to as followers of Jesus whose faith is solely in him. A future in God's presence where there is no more pain, no more tears. No more anxieties of life, no more death, only pure satisfaction and joy and peace. This is the hope that we have in Jesus, that someday he will come back to bring us with him to glory. Guys, God is good. And he weeps over the brokenness and injustices of this world. He hates death, he hates evil and every product of sin. This world was never meant to be like this. It wasn't, but thankfully we have hope. As we experience pain and sadness and loss, it reminds us of the hope that we have that God will someday restore all things and remove all sin and evil once and for all. And so, Saul, is Jesus your hope? Are you placing your hope in the things of this life? Would you turn back to him tonight? If you recognize that maybe I've been placing it in other things, that I've been finding relief in other things or I've been trying to, would you turn back to him tonight? Or maybe for the first time. Maybe for the first time he's trying to show you that you've been trying to find hope in a lot of different things. Would you be like this father and sprint to Jesus and say, you're my only hope? 
Our faith is in a living God named Jesus Christ, and therefore our hope is a living hope. Do you have a living faith, a living hope inside of you? And so I want to point out yet again that we still have hope in this life in our present struggles and difficulties. Like it's not just at all doom and gloom for the rest of our life. I'm not trying to say that. that Jesus answered this official's prayer that he prayed in desperate hope. He still answers our prayers and performs miracles. He invites us to pray to him, to cast our anxieties upon him. He invites us to do that. And so pray to him. Ask him powerfully to move. He is our hope in this life as well. But guys, what I'm trying to say is our ultimate hope, it's not in the outcome of our present circumstances. Whatever happens in our life, our ultimate hope is not in our present circumstances. Our ultimate hope is in Jesus Christ and what he has promised to do in his word. The last thing I think this passage wants to, Jesus is trying to to show us in this passage is that Jesus wants us to tell others about the grace that we have experienced. Notice how the father, the official responds in verse 53. It says again that he believes and that all his household does as well. How do they believe? They weren't there. It's because the people in his household, they believe because he told them about what Jesus did in their life. So if you've experienced Jesus, if you've seen his kindness, if you've experienced a, a living faith and hope in who he is, he invites you to share it with others. The, the other students on your campuses, or, or if you're working in a workplace, the other the people that you're working with, the people that are far from God, you're placing their hope in, in idols that were bur- burned someday. Would you share the hope that you have with the people around you? Guys, only a short time after this story in John 4, does Jesus go to do what he came to this earth to do? The reason that we can have faith beyond our present circumstances, the reason that as Christians we have hope for a future home where there is no pain or death, the reason that we can tell others of the hope that we actually have is because Jesus has made a way for us. That work that he did, You see, the ultimate consequence of sin is eternal death. And that is what we face apart from Jesus. But because he hung on a cross and died for our sin and rose from the grave, he made a way to have hope. Because that same Jesus that lived perfectly died on that cross and rose from that grave. And just like he said he would, he's coming back someday to take his people with him to glory. Guys, we have hope. Would we trust Jesus at his word, no matter what happens in this life? Would tonight, would you maybe trust in him for the first time? Guys, I, I heard this once and it has stuck with me. Jesus never once said in, in the scriptures that following him would be easy. He never once said that. He said a lot of things about how it will be hard, about how you're gonna have to give up things to follow him. But the question is why? Jesus never once said following him would be easy, but he did promise it'd be worth it. He promised it'd be worth it. Because nothing else, and nothing else is life. You have no other hope. Would we continually run to Jesus, trusting in him that he is good, that he knows what's best for us? Would that be what marks our lives? He's a good God. He hears our prayers. And we have hope in the future. What a glorious thing. Our hope is not this life. Our hope is the next, the one to come. Through faith in Jesus, that is secure. Man, I look forward to that day. Mm. Jesus never said following him would be easy, but he promised it would be worth it. Is it worth it to us? Let's pray.
Dear Jesus, I thank you for, for stories like this one in John chapter four. I thank you that they're, they're not just stories that make ourselves feel better about ourselves, but they're stories that are true, that you actually healed this son, that you actually moved powerfully in this official's life, and that you actually are alive and powerful, powerfully working today, God. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you do heal and that you do perform miracles and you show us that you are alive and active, God. I thank you for that. But I thank you that you are our faith and our, and our hope beyond just our present circumstances. So God, I ask that you would, you would build my faith. Would you build our faith? Would we be like this father who would sprint to you and trust you at your word no matter what may happen in this life, God? You're worthy, Jesus. You are worthy. In your name, amen.